we're talking about uh, in today's passage what I've called a functional faith, a faith that really is working. And the whole theme we've said of this book is faith, to just live the faith. I think that's repetitive throughout James's little letter. And I was thinking about as I was preparing the message about uh, a story I read some years ago about a church in Napierville, Illinois, uh, the western suburbs of Chicago. And uh, this church had built... Uh, a new facility, about 25 years, well, I've read this back, I don't know, four or five years ago, and the church had 25 years before that built a new building, and they were all excited about it, and some of you remember the old days when a church built, they built a, a bell tower. Y'all remember that, a bell tower? And some of the churches used to actually on Sunday morning ring the bells, uh, you would actually hear, and I've, I've been there and been in those settings where you could hear bells, and I'm sure probably someplace in Dothan at some point in time had, had bells uh, that would ring on, on, uh, to let everybody know. And that's what they were there for over the years. They were there to remind people in their community that, that it was time to come and to worship God. And so this church built the big bell tower, and, and, uh, but the problem was they didn't have enough money to put bells in it. Bells are very expensive, and they didn't have enough money to put bells in it at that moment. So they had a long-term plan to come back and put bells in the the belfry and um and so in the meantime what they did is they put a big cross up there and then they would put seasonal banners you know decorative kind of seasonal banners to uh represent the lord and the church and that sort of thing and so that's what they would do and on the occasion of their 25th anniversary they decided they well they I, they wanted the bells all along but they they managed to put together enough money to buy the bells okay and they put the bells up. They hung the bells. It was going to be a part of the 25th. Uh, There's only one problem with these bells. They didn't work. They didn't have a clapper. And that's because they didn't have enough money to actually put bells in the belfry that rang. So they were just really decorations. So when you came there, you could look up and you could see these beautiful bells up in the belfry but you couldn't ring them. They didn't work. They were, and it wasn't because there was an, uh, you know, an ordinance against it, and there wasn't because, you know, neighbors said it's too, it, they just didn't work. Um, they just didn't work. And as I was thinking about our passage today, I thought, you know, many of God's people today, they look like they have a connection to God, but they just don't work. It's all a facade. And so James writes to remind us that faith that is real isn't a facade. It manifests itself. And in our passage, that's what I want to talk about today. And by the way, if you're looking at the outline, breathe a sigh of relief. I'm, we're going to look at one point today, okay? <laughs> all right? <laughs> right? Y'all can turn your oxygen tanks back off now. Breathe again. One point, but it has three sub-points, okay? We'll come back and get the others on another ma uh, message. But if you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me as we read from 14 and following. Verse 14 and following. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and... One of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? 
So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that, you see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that that person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Lord, help us to get that, to understand that faith is more than a confession. It's a possession. That faith is something we don't just talk about, it's something we live out. Help us to understand what James was writing to these early Christians, because we need it too. Now Lord, would you take my preparation, would you take my thoughts, would you take my words, would you take me, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and speak your word to your people this morning. Cause us to receive it, to not just be hearers, but to go away doers. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, you're pretty smart people. You realize I went ahead and read the whole thing. Well, I thought while I... <laughs> Y'all pick up on that? I just got to thinking while I was reading. I thought, well, I, they're already standing. <laughs> now, the passage we just read is an interesting passage because some people misunderstand these verses and some people interpret it as declaring that salvation is a result of works. Some have even gone so far as to say that this puts Paul at odds with James because Paul said that it is by grace through faith that you're saved, not of works. It's the gift of God. He writes that in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And he talked about that same concept in the book of Romans. But here we read James and we say, but James is telling us that, that faith and works are evidence of salvation. You see, the truth is that they are not contradicting themselves at all. Paul in Ephesians and Romans, you see, is talking about the foundations of saving faith while James is talking about the fruit of saving faith. Paul's talking about the root of faith, and James is talking about the fruit of faith. As one pre preacher put it, Paul is talking about a no-so faith, and James is talking about a show-so faith. That is, it, James is not preaching a salvation that comes from works, but rather a salvation that works. And works are the result of our salvation, not the means to it. Martin Luther, the great reformer, when he first studied this book, he said it didn't belong in the Bible. And yet he continued to study and he came to see exactly what God had said, that works result from faith. They don't produce it. 
And he later came back and said, this book absolutely belongs in, in the canon of Scripture. Well, this entire passage is a, about a faith that is functional in everyday life. And one of the reasons I told you this in the introduction of, as we began this book is that I love the book of James is because it is so incredibly practical. And he essentially is talking to us about how to practically live out uh, the fact that we're saved. And he analyzes the difference between genuine faith and a faith which masquerades, a faith that's not real, a faith that is phony. And he does that by showing us several things. And as I said today, we're going to look at one of those. We're going to look at the first thing. And that is this, that James takes a moment in verses 14 to 19 to do something very helpful for us, and that is to clarify our faith. This is the clarification of your faith. He says, if someone says that he has faith, can that faith save him? He's saying, apart from works, can that faith save him? You remember what John the Baptist said when he saw a lot of people coming to him, in particular the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were coming for baptism too because it was popular and they always wanted to parade their righteousness before men. You remember that? Jesus rebuked them for that. So they see James. James is popular. They want to look like they're on the front side of everything. And so they're coming, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism. And when they did, you remember what he said? He said, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Pretty strong stuff. And then he says this to them. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, don't come put on some show. John knew what they were doing. It was a show for them. And he said, you're a brood of vipers. You're a bunch of liars. You're, like Jesus would call them, a whitewashed empty tomb. He said, if you're going to do this, then demonstrate the reality that you are the real deal by bringing forth fruit that shows you have genuinely repented. Today, there's so much cultural confusion on saving faith that some people have even fallen victim to the idea that if they merely don't deny God, that's equivalent to trusting God. Well, I don't deny God. In fact, the studies all still, we've talked about this, haven't we? The studies all still show that the vast majority, at least in America, will still say, oh yeah, I believe in God. Now, if you start pressing them, and there are studies that show this, you start pressing them about what their definition of God is, that's a more interesting uh, 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 process. Most people will say, yeah, I don't deny God. I don't deny the existence of God. Therefore, I'm okay. I'm okay. Some people have confused this whole idea. And to keep us from confusion, because there was plenty of confusion in the early days of the church, James, he does something. He distinguishes the kinds of faith that exist out there. And this morning, that's what I want to focus on. There are three kinds of faith that James talks about in this passage. And the first one is found in verse 17. And that is dead faith. He says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He says that again at the end of verse 26. So the first kind of faith that he deals with is what he calls dead faith. And a dead faith is a faith that is about confession without possession. It says the right thing, 
It knows what to say. It knows the language. It knows the lingo that Christians use. It knows how to confess the right thing. But there is no genuine possession of saving faith. You see, you can claim to be a millionaire. You can claim to be a millionaire, but if the bank doesn't back you up, it's just a profession without a possession. It's a confession that can't be validated. Some years ago in Florida, when I was exec pastor at a large church there, our financial secretary came to me on a Monday and she said, uh, Pastor Ray, I need to show you something. And I said, well, she said, I need to know where, what, how do we handle this? And I said, okay, what, what is it? And she handed me a check that had been put in the offering plate the day before, and I looked at it, and when I did, my eyes bugged out. It was for a million dollars. One check, a million dollars. She said, what do you think I need to do with this? I said, cash it. <laughs> put it in the bank. And I said, I don't know who that person is. And by the way, I don't look to see what you give, you know. But she said, this is so unusual. I don't know what to do. What do you think I should do? I said, let me have it. <laughs> I said, if I can put it in my account. <laughs> uh, no, I said, let me, let, let, me, let me have it. And so I went to the senior pastor, my mentor, Bill Anderson. And I said, Bill, look at this. And he starts laughing. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to figure out, is this a laugh of joy or cynicism? Well, it was the latter. He said, Ray, that's not real. I said, well, it says it. It's signed, and it's a, there's, it's a check, and it has a name, and it has, you know, a routing number and account number. And he said, I promise you that's not legitimate. And he said, I said, well, they're wanting to know what to do. I said, you, he said, just tell them to call the bank upon which it's written, and validate it. And so our financial office did, and the bank, the bank said, we don't have an account under that name. There's no, nobody here in that, with that name. And, and I can tell you, there's no one of that name that has a, an account with that kind of money in it. So we shouldn't try to deposit this? Well, maybe they'll make it good if we become... No. <laughs> You see, it was an empty check. It was a confession without possession, wasn't it? A lot of Christians or a lot of people like that today who profess Christianity, they just don't possess it. Uh, Abraham Lincoln asked a little boy one time, he says, Son, if a dog has four legs and you call his tail a leg, then how many legs does he have? And the little boy thought for a moment, he said, Well, he he has five. To which Lincoln said, no son, he still just has four legs. It doesn't matter what you call his tail, it's still a tail. And you can call a, a tail a leg if you want to, but it is just a leg. By the way, just as a footnote, our culture needs to, that's a lesson our culture needs. You can call it anything you want to, but it is what it is. You can change the pronouns. You can do all of that stuff. Call it a call a tail a leg, but it's still a leg. And James is saying to us that just because a person says they have faith, that doesn't mean they have faith. And as is many other times in history, 
The church today desperately needs to recognize and deal with the soul-damning idea that the mere confession of the gospel facts are sufficient for salvation is just a lie. And Jesus clarified this mistaken assumption. He did that in Matthew 7, verses 21 and following, when He said, Not everyone who says to Me, Confession, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of My Father who is in, uh, who is in heaven. And on that day, that is that day where we stand before Him, on that day many will say to Me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and do mighty works in Your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew You. Depart from Me, workers of lawlessness. Jesus clarifies a mistaken assumption that you can just know the gospel facts and be right with God. The fact is a person can say all the right things and not be in right relationship with God. That is a dead faith. But he deals with a second kind of faith, James does here, and it is a demonic faith. A dead faith, but then a demonic faith. He goes on, verse 19, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Here's the way we might say it. You believe in God, good for you. You're no better than the demons at that level, at the intellectual level. The demons believe, except the difference between the demons and you is the demons have enough sense to shudder at what they know. What James is doing is he's showing the futility of mere intellectual belief in Christ. And he, and, he, and he does it with this shocking kind of illustration. He contrasts the mental belief with demons who have a knowledge of Christ but no relationship with Christ uh, with people who possess a head knowledge of Christ and yet are confused and have confused that as having a personal relationship with Christ. And it might surprise you to know that, that the, devils, uh, and the devil and demons are, are believers in many ways. Think about this. The, the devil, the demons, they don't doubt who Christ is. They, they don't need to be convinced or persuaded to believe. On one occasion where Jesus came on the scene to cast out demons, you remember what they said to Him in Mark chapter 1, verse 24? It said, they, the demons answered, what have we to do with, uh, what are you uh, here to do with us? And then they said, Jesus of Nazareth, listen, have you come here to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons, that's their confession. You get what James is saying? Think about it. A hundred percent. Not 99, not 80, not 75, but a hundred percent of the demons in hell and operating in this world believe in Jesus Christ. And by the way, time out. Just a footnote. They've been unleashed like never before. Unleashed. Why? Because they know their time is limited. And the floodgates of hell have been opened up. Across the globe, the floodgates of hell have been opened up. Why? Because they know. They know what the Scripture says. They know their coming fate. 100% of them believe. There's no debate about Jesus among demons. Demons don't sit around and say, well, do you think He's really the Son of God? Well, I don't know. You know, there, there's no... Look, the demons, 
from just an intellectual perspective, are orthodox in their beliefs. That means they, they get theology correct as far as the facts of doctrine go. And by the way, demons are monotheists. Did you know that? They're very much aware that the Scriptures are the Word of God. They know there's a literal heaven and a literal hell. They know that Jesus died and rose again to atone for the sins of the world. They know that. But despite their correct orthodoxy, their knowledge and what they know will not save them. And the fact is, some people today are less orthodox than the demons are. The demons know so much about God and Christ, they literally shudder, James says. And the word shudder in the Greek means to be terrified to the point of trembling. What have, you, what have we to do with you? Leave us alone, Jesus. Have you come here to de destroy us? We know who you are. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We know who you are. Leave us alone. When's the last time you shuddered about who Jesus is? Let me share something that I heard it's not original with me, but I think it perfectly illustrates what James is saying. Suppose some Sunday the devil wanted to join Ridgecrest. And incidentally, by the way, I should add, the devil's not fighting churches today. He's joining them. And he's working from the inside, not from the outside. But let's say that, that on some Sunday the devil decided he wanted to join Ridgecrest and so we're going to give him a little examination before we let him join. And so I say to him, I say, now Mr. Devil, do you want to be a member of this church? Well, yes, I do. Well, Mr. Devil, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Oh, yes, I believe that. Well, now wait a minute. Let, let, let's, let's check you out. Do you believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin? Oh, yes, I, I do. I was there. I witnessed his virgin birth. Well, now, Mr. Devil, do you believe that Jesus Christ died upon the cross? Oh, yes. I know he died upon the cross because I saw him. Well, Devil, do you believe that he was raised from the dead? Well, certainly. I, be, I, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Well, Devil, do you... You believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? Oh, yes. I, I definitely know that Jesus Christ is coming again. Well, Mr. Devil, if we accept you into, into our church here at Ridgecrest, are you willing to be baptized by immersion? Oh, well, sure. I know that that's the Bible way of immersion, baptism. In fact, I saw Jesus when he was baptized by immersion. I was waiting there to tempt him right after he was baptized. Oh, yeah, I believe in baptism and, and immersion. Yeah. Well, Mr. Devil, if, if, if we receive you into Ridgecrest, will you faithfully attend? Well, I, <laughs> I can tell you this much. I'll attend a lot more faithfully than some of your members are attending now. As a matter of fact, if, if you'd like me to, Brother Aaron and Bradley, I'll join the choir and the praise band. I'll do a lot of work there if you let me. I'll even serve in some leadership roles. In fact, I, I think I've seen some of your leaders in other places. As a matter of fact, he says, I'll be happy, <laughs> Pastor, to fill the pulpit for you when you can't be there. 
Now, by the way, did you, you know that the Bible says that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. You do know that. And he has ministers. And so after hearing that kind of profession of his faith, let's say we get ready to say, well, that's a pretty good confession, isn't it? So we, we get ready to welcome him into our fellowship. But, but now, Mr. Devil, before, before we let you in, let me just ask you just a few more questions. Are, are you willing to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Are you willing to, to bow your knee to Jesus Christ? Are you willing to submit to Jesus Christ? Are you willing to believe in Him, to love Him, to trust Him, to serve Him? And the devil's answer with venom spewing from his mouth would be, no, that's one thing I'll never do. I'll never bow to Him. I'll, I hate Him and I hate His people. You get the point, don't you? By the way, he will bow. You see, you can know all the theological facts about Christ and still go straight to hell. You can be very accurate in your beliefs and be no better off than the devil and his demons. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus, not just about Jesus, do you know Jesus personally, not just the facts about Jesus? Do you do more? Have you done more than just affirm Jesus? Have you accepted Him as your personal Savior? Can you say, I am His and He is mine forever? The fact is, if your faith is no different than that of the demons, you will die and you will go to an eternal hell all because you miss salvation by the distance between your head, what you know, and your heart. But there is some good news. Thank goodness it doesn't have to be that way because there's a third kind of faith that James refers to. There's the dead faith. You don't want to have dead faith. It won't save you. You don't want to have demonic faith. That's just knowing all the right stuff. What you want is this third faith, the dynamic faith. He speaks about it in verse 22. Well, through really off and on throughout this whole uh, passage and even in the previous chapter, this dynamic faith. And he says in verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works. He's talking about Abraham and his, uh, how he was justified. You ever wondered how the patriarchs of the Old Testament, how they were saved? If we're saved by faith, they were saved by faith. Their acts of obedience illustrated their trust and belief in God. It was an expression of faith. They're saved the same way we are. They put their faith, their trust in God, and their works demonstrated it. So James gives us this dynamic faith. It's an active faith. That, oh, it's activity that overflows from our faith. It is the horizontal activity that results from our vertical relationship with God. It's a faith that, is, that manifests in a verb. You know what I mean by that. Donald Miller in his book, Blue Like Jazz, that I read some years ago, and by the way, don't go get it and don't read it. It's not worth it. But he did offer, at least on one occasion, some practical insights on action and belief that are reflective of what James is saying to us. This is what he writes. He said, the trouble with deep belief is that it costs something. And there's something inside me 
something selfish, a selfish beast of sorts of a subtle thing that doesn't like the truth at all because it carries responsibility. Hello, culture. And if I actually believe these things, I have to do something about them. I used to say that I believed it was important to tell people about Jesus, but I never did. He said, but my friend Andrew very kindly explained that if I do not introduce people to Jesus, then I don't believe Jesus is an important person. No matter what I say, my actions demonstrate what I really believe. Listen, we'd say it this way, talk is cheap. If your faith hasn't changed your behavior, you're cha- you're, you better change your faith. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, listen, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, you know what's interesting about that verse? You remember I I started off this message talking about the people have confused this and, and said Paul said this and James is saying this and they're contradicting one another because Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith it is not of yourselves it is not by works it is the gift of God that's what Paul said and James comes along and says uh, 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 faith without works is dead and and so this conflict that erupts there the verse I just read you now you verse that I just read you out of Ephesians. You know where that verse falls? Or we are His workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works. You know where it falls? Ephesians 2, 10. 8 and 9, he says, For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourself. Okay, and then this is the next work, but, but the, the next verse. And he says, You are God's workmanship, created in Him for good works. You see, both Paul and James are connecting vertical saving faith by grace. Vertical saving faith by grace. Y'all get that? With living faith as a result. Because this is right, then this happens. That's what they're saying. That's a dynamic faith. That's what it means to live out your faith. That's the message that James is trying to help us give. If you have got more than just a confession, more than just a profession, it's going to manifest in how you live when you walk out of the building. It's going to manifest how you live when you get up tomorrow morning. It's going to manifest how you act when you're treated unfairly. Aaron, I love that song we did I choose Jesus. By the way, you know, much of your Christian life is based on the choices you make based on the truth you know. So you choose to be like Jesus even when you don't feel like being like Jesus. When you've been offended or you've hurt, you choose to be like Jesus. I choose, I choose, I choose. Why? Because I have been changed. And it's not about me, it's about Him. And so our faith is validated. I'm going to talk more about that in a future message, but our faith is validated by our works. It is not, our faith is not produced by our works. Ronald Reagan, many of you remember when he was president. Ronald Reagan had this saying, it was trust but verify. Y'all remember that? Trust but verify. And he used it in, 
in most of his diplomatic meetings with the Soviet Union, that's who that Russia was in those days, and he used it publicly and he used it frequently, trust but verify. And at the signing of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty with the Soviet Union, he used it again and again with his counterpart at that time, Mikhail Gorbachev. And he used it so much that finally Gorbachev stopped him and asked him this question. He said, Mr. Reagan, you repeat that statement, trust but verify, at every meeting we have. Why is that? To which Reagan responded and said, because I like it. <laughs> the whole point of Reagan's statement was to remind Gorbachev that talk is cheap. You can sign documents and agreements all you want, but trust will be validated by actions. Well, that's the point that James is making. Faith is validated by actions, not just what we say. And so what he does in this first point is he brings clarity doesn't he? To what it means to, to say, I believe. What it means to say, I live by faith. There will be evidence. And if there is no evidence, it's a good chance there is no real faith. That's what he's saying to us. That's why he says in chapter 1, verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Preach the whole message on it. Why? Because when you are just a hearer of the Word, but not a doer, you have deceived yourself. You know, I'm convinced of this, that the devil is perfectly content for you to hear the Word. He's perfectly content for you to know the Word. I don't even think he has a problem if you memorize the Word, and I think all of those things are good, as long as you don't let the Word change you. As long as you don't allow the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and create a new creation. He's fine with confession without possession. That may be you. You may be watching us by live stream or on television today. You may be listening by radio and you say, you know what, I think what I've got is just a confession, but there's no possession. I don't possess Christ. Will you change all that today? This live audience, wherever you are, you can change all that. The Bible says this, listen, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord might be saved. No, that's the way the devil would tell you. It says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will, fact, will be saved. You may wonder, I say, well, I'm not sure I did. Well, take care of that. Why would you live in doubt? And by the way, <laughs> with what's going on in your world right now, and it's crazy. Not just in the Middle East, it's just crazy. Why? Because the demons of hell have been unleashed. They know the hour is late. With all that's going on, don't put off a decision to secure your eternity. I'm not trying to scare you, but it might be here faster than you know. Our daughter came down the 
our son-in-law and the grandboys went north. He wanted to go hunting, and so they have some property. He, his family does, and he went to hunt, and he dropped the boys off with his parents, and Kara says, this is my opportunity to go south. And so she came in yesterday, and we're talking about all the things going on in the world, and last night we're talking about that, and I said, sweetheart, this is serious time, and I said, I'm your daddy, and I love you, and I said, I want to remind you of something. This is the time to make sure your house is in order. Make sure your house is in order. Make sure your life is in order. Listen, Pat, this is the most important house you live in. Is it in order today? Is it in order? If not, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus says, but as many as received Him, John writes, to them He gave the right to become children of God. Lord Jesus, for any in the sound of my voice, whether it's radio, television, live stream, right here in this live audience, whatever the case may be, if they're not sure, let this be that day where they call on You. Where they call on You. And Father, if they know, or they're pretty certain that they have... Uh, dead faith or a demonic faith. They have the right belief and knowledge. They just don't have the relationship. Let them settle that today, right here in this audience. Keep us from walking out saying, I'll take care of it later. The hour's late. Whatever that means. Lord, I, I don't know what that means. I just know it's late. I know it's later than it's ever been. But I don't know how that all works out, time-wise. But Father, I do know this. It's time. Today is the day of salvation. So would you move in our hearts now in these moments of invitation before we're gone. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have our invitation. Stand with me if you will. I'll be here at the front. Uh, staff will be on these uh, aisles, and I want to invite you to slip out from the balcony or ground floor. Those of you who are watching by live stream or television, there will be information on your screen about how you can make the decision that God wants you to make. You may desire to become a member of our church. You're saved and you want to become a member of our church. People have done it all through this week, by the way. Maybe today is the time for you to do it. Why don't you slip out, come tell one of our staff members, I want to become, I know Christ my Savior. I, I want to be a member of Ridgecrest. We'd love to have you here. We're a healthy church. We believe the truth. I invite you to come and link your life with this body of believers. We love new people. You're here this morning, perhaps, and you want to come around this altar and you want to kneel and just talk to the Lord. You're praying for someone. You're praying about something. There's a decision for you to make. There's nothing, nothing, nothing like the posture of a bowed knee before God to talk to Him. I invite you to do that. Whatever the decision God would lead you to... Hey, listen, you may be here and say, I need to be baptized like Ashley. I need to do that. We'll set up a time for you. But you do if you haven't been or if you got saved after you got baptized. You know, let's get this thing on the right order. Okay? You ready? As Brother Aaron leads us, you slip out. You come on.